Well, three years of zero interest rates. That's what the dot points from the Fed are telling us. But by then, employment will have bounced back and so will inflation. But what happens in the meantime? Whilst the FAMC hasn't really changed anything, the Bank of England perhaps has a bigger problem on its hand. To start, there's the spectre of deflation. We're seeing more of it, including numbers from the UK today. And today, Aussie jobs, the impact of the Melbourne lockdown, New Zealand GDP and the Bank of Japan later on. It's a busy day. It's Thursday, the 17th of September, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, stocks in the US were rising again. The Dow was up over 1%, but that's all changed after the Fed. It's just 0.3% up now. The S&P 500, since that meeting, has fallen into negative territory. It's down a quarter percent. And the Nasdaq, which was up 0.3%, is now 1% down. So quite a reaction. Uh, Europe, of course, had closed before the meeting. The Eurostox 50 uh, finished 0.2% up. The FTSE 100 down 0.4%, but a chunk of that was the rise in the pound, which is up 0.6%, whilst the euro is down a quarter percent. Meanwhile, the US dollar fell a little overnight, but regained it all and some. It's up about 0.2%, just as the Aussie dollar gained 0.6% and lost it all and more. And it's now down about 0.2%. Uh, the US dollar has also lost uh, about half a percent to the Japanese yen. US treasuries uh, edged up one basis point for 10 years, down one for 30 years. No no big movements and small movements in Europe as well. But a massive leap in oil, over 5% up for WTI, now back over $40 a barrel. Uh, it's not ventured far from the $40 mark, of course, since the beginning of June, really. But a 4.4 million drop in crude oil stocks in the US last week will have helped push that price up today. And today, Rodrigo Cotrill is with me, Senior FX Strategist at NAB in Sydney, uh, to talk about what's going to be a fairly busy day. In fact, it has been busy already. Let's start with the Fed, uh, Rodrigo. Not quite as dovish as has been expected, perhaps. Jerome Powell talked up the speed of the recovery. He said household spending recovering three quarters of its decline already, but he said that was, of course, due to federal stimulus payments. Is actually why I said it. He's, I suspect he meant federal. Uh, and uh, he said the recovery <laughs> has been faster than expected, but things are going to take time. Unemployment will get back to uh, 4% by 2023, and we'll see core PC inflation back to 2% by then as well. Uh, that's basically the, the do-nothing scenario, or do-nothing-else. But, I mean, that is, that's quite a wait, isn't it, to 2023? Yes, it's certainly quite a long way. So um, I suppose that the major takeaway here is an affirmation of what the Fed has been telling us since, you know, Jackson Hole. Um, that is very clear that the, the interest rates are going nowhere until we see the unemployment rates getting to that maximum level. And, and the definition of that maximum level is, is still vague uh, because remember that um, there was an acknowledgement that last time uh, the Fed acted too quickly when the unemployment rate uh, went below that 4% mark uh, because we didn't get that inflation rise that typically comes with it. So at uh, this time around, there's a little bit of vagueness around that. Um, there's also a little bit of vagueness around how much tolerance uh, you will allow inflation to be above that 2%. Um, Fed Chair Powell talk about allowing it for a temporary period, not too, too much, not much higher than 2% and so on, but it's still unclear as to how long that will be. Um, and I suppose the other major takeaways is the issue that inflation needs to uh, get about 2% with inflation expectations also expected to be on a sustained basis about 2%. So um, for now, it's very clear that the Fed is going nowhere uh, and that that cash rate, um, you know, at a minimum is not going to go anywhere until 2023. Um, and arguably, it could actually be a lot longer than that. And he, he flagged, uh, I mean, there's lots of implications for that, aren't there? I mean, one of them 
is, you know, what, what happens to uh, to assets like uh, how high are equities going to go over that period unless people decide that, you know, it is getting too high. And then where does the money go? Does it does it flow into EM currencies? You know what? Uh, what is going to be the long term implication of three years or maybe more with an interest rate which is close to zero? Yeah, so th- that is a kind of an interesting uh, point to make because not only the Fed, but even the RBA have changed uh, through time in terms of uh, this this idea of what what, what happens over, um, you know, having easy policy for an extended period of time. So that's where we think, uh, you know, regulation will come into play. If you remember, for instance, in Australia, uh, we did have, uh, you know, APRA coming in and, and, uh, and restrictions in terms of how much of those investment loans you could have and so on. So, um, so the idea that yeah. you could still kind of keep um, easy policy for an extended period of time, you can still make adjustments from the regulatory side to, to make sure that you prevent those excessive movements in, in, in sort of asset prices. Um, it remains to be seen what the Fed could do, but certainly, um, if you like, some evidence that now central banks have moved in that direction in order to, to prevent that. Saying that, uh, the, the Fed also kind of emphasized that uh, the quantitative easing program is here not only to support market functions, so to make sure that the, you know the, the, the U.S. Treasury market is not dysfunctional, but also to make sure that uh, you know financial conditions remain accommodative. So there's actually a desire to make sure that financial conditions are easy and 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 you know instigate more lending and, and, and more uh, borrowing and also instigates you know an increase in, in asset prices. So could but could people start to look overseas from from the United States if they think that you know, there's a real concern that they've been putting money into into equities uh, interest rates stay low they think this is crazy now it can't go any higher we've got to put in money, our, our money elsewhere i mean couldn't that doesn't that mean that you know they could have money fly, flowing out of uh, out of the u.s perhaps into emerging markets i mean that could push up the cost of uh, of imports from those countries which could add to inflation which should be a good thing i'm just wondering how it's all going to play out yeah, well, I suppose history tells you that uh, typically when the Fed eases for uh, you know an extended period of time, uh, the U.S. dollar embarks on a on a cyclical downturn, and we already seen that. Um, so uh, inevitably, that means that eventually, and, and we are already now starting to see evidence that EM effects is starting to perform better. Importantly, too, you know, this week now we've seen that the yuan appreciating against the U.S. dollar. So there's an allowance, if you like, by the PBOC to to allow the, the currency to appreciate in China um, and, and, and is well supported by macro fundamentals. You know, you, you have an economy that is performing, that is leading global growth. Um, and also you have domestic rates in China that are also very attractive relative to the rest of the world. So that is a, a story that kind of feeds onto the performance of EM, EM currencies and EM markets eventually as well, given the link that um, not only EM, but also Australia has to, to the fortunes of the economic uh, um, outcomes in, in, in China as well. Now, while the Fed is, uh, you know, looking at 2% inflation, I mean, the big concern short term is deflation. How big a concern is that for, for the world? The UK inflation rate for August, month on month, came in at minus 0.4%. In Canada, it came in at minus 0.1%. We get the final read for the euro area, their core inflation rate. We know that's going to be negative as well. 
None of this, of course, helps with the recovery, does it? Because if you, you know, you hold off purchases, if you've got deflation, nobody's going to take out a loan to buy stuff if it's going to be cheaper to buy down the track. Yes, uh, and I suppose that it's, it's pretty worth noting that these dynamics are different depending where you look. So in the US, we do have inflation rising. Um, you know, we, we talked about last week about the impact that used cars is having in terms of the inflation reading. And the expectations are that actually inflation will has the potential to continue to rise in in the in the US and potentially you might even get that two percent outcome, you know, over the next six months. Now uh, what we also know is that the impact of the, the the drivers of the inflation are, are likely to be only temporary. So the Fed in that instance will literally look through that and ignore that. And in fact, in their own forecast, they don't see inflation punching through that 2% level by 2023, which is another reason to remember everyone that, you know, on that basis, you know, the Fed is going nowhere in 2024 as well. Um, but as you say, uh, the, the story is very different. Yeah. Like when you look in, in, in the UK, which um, we had disappointing numbers, Europe is also kind of on a deflationary path and expectations for inflation tomorrow in Japan is also going to be negative. So mm. uh, there's certainly a theme of deflation near term. And, and that's why there's a need and emphasis for a very aggressive stimulatory policy coming from, from the central banks and also for the need for stimulus uh, from the fiscal side as well. Well, we'll get on to that because the Bank of England's meeting today. So I was going to ask you precisely that question. Are they going to have to do more? We look at, uh, but let's look at the uh, the other implication, you know, of, of deflation and retail sales uh, in July. Okay, you're saying it's not such a big issue in the United States, but we saw retail sales in the US. They're still growing up uh, 0.6% month on month in August, but uh, that is down from 0.9% in July. So uh, they're losing a bit of the impetus in their recovery in the retail sector. Yes, and and I suppose it's, it's a reminder of the nature of this this sort of crisis of this recession that has been induced by the pandemic, and and it's something that is evident, you know, across the world. So what we've seen, of course, there has been a huge and immediate recession, and now the recovery, which is just at its early stages, is very much being driven by the industrial side. The manufacturing side is is, is rebounding. We've seen an increase in economic activity. But the consumer is the one that is lagging behind. The consumer remains very anemic. And it's a sign, of course, that, you know, we're seeing it in the U.S. It's a sign also even in China, which is the one that is leading all this recovery. Um, and it's kind of consistent with the fact that, you know, this is this this recession has hit the services sector harder, which is a big uh, employer. Uh, and of course, we still have high levels of, of unemployment, which, by the way, that, you know, they've been supported by this mm. uh, income support schemes, which in the U.S. in particular is essentially now the money's run out. So this it, it, it even increases the need for, for this fiscal uh, um, stimulus that is still not coming from from the Congress and, and the White House. And and it's not going to come. Yeah. So, okay, let's look at the central banks then, the Bank of Japan and the Bank of England. Uh, it seems like they'll both have to do more uh, for, for the same reason that they're seeing they, they have this deflation issue. They've got to get retail sales. They've got to get confidence back up. Also, I mean, England uh, or the UK, I should say, has got this other problem as well that they are, you know, they are seeing rising numbers. They could be going to a second peak, a big rise again in infections today in the UK, around 4,000. That is four, four times what it was a month ago. Yes, that that's even an, an, a, a, even a, a bigger concern as well as, as you say. So, from from a central bank perspective, when we look at the the Bank of Japan first. Um, because they're, they're kind of running out of bullets, essentially, uh, and, and because of the emphasis that they have put on, on the fiscal side, and because the fiscal side is expected to continue to support the economy, particularly now with the, with the new P 
PM, um, we, we think that the, the, the Bank of Japan will insist in its commitment to all tracing monetary policy, but it, we won't see any changes on that. And again, the emphasis will be on, on the fiscal side. Uh, on the UK, the, 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 the dynamics there are a little bit different. Um, we think that um, there's a little bit not only uncertainty because of inflation, which means that um, there, there's plenty of arguments for, for the central bank to um, uh, ease further. We also know that the central bank is pondering the idea of not only increasing quantitative easing, but also taking the cash rate into negative territory. Uh, and of course, the, the economic recovery is, is, is faced with the prospects of the labor market uh, facing more unemployment. And as you say, there's this huge amount of uncertainty around the virus. And also, let's not forget the EU, EU, EU UK trade negotiations. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of arguments there for the Bank of England to act. Our sense is that um, they will signal the, the likelihood that there will be further easing ahead um, with the potential of, of an increase in that quantitative easing uh, amount uh, commitment uh, in the November meeting as well. Now, on those on those Brexit negotiations, they panned up quite a bit today because there's the hope that the UK government is going to backtrack a little on their internal market bill so that they can get some of their rebel MPs who aren't backing the bill, get them back on board, although one of them, Lord Keane, uh, has quit in protest today. But that, that's not stopped people buying the pound today. Look, lots of uh, job news today f uh, for Australia and the, the US. The US gets their weekly jobless numbers, which is expected to fall a little. And then we get the labour force data for Australia for August. So that's going to be interesting because it's going to show us the impact of the of the Melbourne lockdown. Although how interesting is it? We just know it's going to be down. We know it's going to be down. Uh, we we expecting a decline of around 40,000 in August. Uh, the market is around just below that. I think it's around 35,000. So certainly, I think the interesting thing will be mm. the decomposition of that number. Is it all coming from Victoria? And if so, maybe the market treats it as a temporary impact. Importantly as well, are we seeing job creation in the other states? Um, and also, uh, I suppose yeah. the implications also will be in terms of the unemployment rate itself. Uh, the market and, and ourselves, we expect it to tick a little bit higher towards 7.8%. Um, and, and therefore, it just plays into the view of the need for more help from the government and also for the, the commitment for the RBA to you know, continue to, to, to provide support uh, for an extended period of time as well. Right. OK. And very quickly, finally, New Zealand uh, GDP for, uh, for Q2 today. And again, I wonder how useful uh, those numbers are going to be because, uh, you know, we know they're going to be bad because Q2 was lockdown time. Uh, worse in some places than others, of course, wherever you look in the world, uh, these numbers have been down. It's really the rate of recovery that follows that counts, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for, for the record, the, the, the market and, and, and our BNZ colleagues are expecting a decline of around 13%. It could be higher, it could be a little bit lower, but it's still a huge number, which way you look at it. Uh, and of course, the, the focus will be there in terms of the potential of recovery, which again, the prospects of reopening the economy uh, following that virus scare that they had in New Zealand, it will be very important in terms of what to expect uh, over the coming months. All right, we've got to leave it there. Good talk. Catch you again very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. That's Rodrigo. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.